Hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? Let this worship team know how much you appreciate their gift. Thank you, guys. Love y'all. Y'all are awesome. Look, can I just say that I believe with all of my heart that today is going to be a day of breakthrough. Last night I was sitting in my office. It was late. I think everyone's already in bed. And I was praying, and I felt like what the Lord said that he wanted to do today was do an exchange with us. Like one where we surrender our old wineskin, and in return, he's going to give us a new one. Now, for those of you that are new to church, um, if what I just said doesn't make sense, let me just state it maybe in, in another way. God is asking us to relinquish control of how we have done things in the past, to surrender our, our systems, our ideologies, our preconceived ideas, and to allow him to guide our steps and to shape our perspectives. Really, I feel like what God is doing is he's given us an invitation to let go of our own understanding and to lean into his wisdom and his ways. But this exchange, this breakthrough comes with the cost of us being willing to step outside of our comfort zones and embrace the new thing that he wants to do. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 43 and verse 19, See, as in, are you looking for it? Are you watching? Are you catching this? See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. It's so important that we catch that word right there because we're always looking forward to what God wants to do in the future. But God is saying to us right now, it springs forth. Don't you perceive it? Then he goes on to say, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You see, whenever we release grip of that thing that we have been holding on to, once we release that mindset of how things used to be, we make room for God's miraculous intervention. We create space for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. And so can we just calibrate our hearts right now in such a way that our hearts would be found as fertile soil by which the seed of the word of God is going to be preached? Can we do that right now? Come on, join me in prayer if you would. Heavenly Father. We love you, and we come to you, O oh God, as willing vessels, longing for your plans and your purposes for our life. And God, I ask that today, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you would cause us to unlearn and relearn. May we let go of what was for yesterday, and may we embrace what is for today. We ask that you would shape our hearts transform our communities, and bring about revival in such a way that you receive all the glory. So God, now allow your word to go forth in power. May it do its work in our life. And may we all have ears to say, thus, or hear, thus saith the Lord. And all this we ask in your precious son's name, the name which is above every name, 
Jesus. And all the church says, amen. Well, I'm going to pick back up with our All In series. And for those of you that are just joining us, I think this has been the longest series that I have ever taught in my 25 years of ministry. And today's going to be the 26th installment of our series. And I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to teach the book of Acts uh, chapter by chapter. And so uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. As you're soon going to see, the rest of the book of Acts is pretty much an account of the story of Paul and the things that God did through his life, but it's also written in order to instruct us as to how we should live. Acts 21, we're going to start at verses 3 and 4. I'm not going to read the whole entire chapter. It's a long chapter, but we'll start at verse 3. It says, when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left or on the south, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now I want us to just pause here for just a minute. It's been a couple of weeks since we gave our last message in the All In series. But if you'll remember in Acts chapter 20, specifically verses 22 through 24, Paul says these words. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. God instructs Paul to go to Jerusalem. But now we read here in Acts chapter 21, he finds some disciples entire, and they tell him not to go to Jerusalem. And the scripture says that he's telling them this through the Spirit. So what's going on here? Is God changing his mind? No. Then why does it appear that the Spirit spoke one thing to Paul, but then another to the disciples? And who's right? Well, I think these two portions of Scripture right here teach us something about how God speaks to you and I. You see, I believe that God did indeed speak to both Paul and the disciples. God told Paul that hardship would await him, not only in Jerusalem, he says, but in every city that he traveled to. But I also believe that God spoke to the disciples, telling them that Paul would be facing hardship in Jerusalem also. You see, the disconnect, now watch this, was in the interpretation. Paul interpreted the Holy Spirit's revelation as kind of a heads up, Paul. In other words, this is what's going to be happening to you. That way, whenever it happens, it's, you won't think something crazy is happening. This is what's going to happen. Now, I want to just dive into this thought for just a minute because I think there are a lot of Christians who would believe that God wouldn't do something like that. Bless your heart. <laughs> like, God isn't going to show you 
that difficulty is going to come your way. As a matter of fact, they would say things like this. Well, God's only going to bring about good in your life. And to that thought, I would actually agree. God's plan and purpose for our life is for good. But again, the problem is in the interpretation. Because a lot of people interpret good as nothing difficult. Nothing hard, nothing challenging, nothing demanding. But name one person in the Bible who never faced something difficult or challenging. Friends, we see through a much different lens than God does. We see things from a a temporary perspective, but God sees things through the lens of eternity. And I feel so compelled to teach you this because there are many people who are feeling the hardships and the difficulties that are coming against them. And they recognize it as an attack from the devil. But what you've also got to know is what the enemy meant for evil. God will use for good. Joseph understood what we're talking about here. His brothers thought that selling him off as a, a slave would be Uh, the end to their problems, but what they didn't realize was that in so doing, they sent him off to boot camp. God took him from a slave to a servant to second in command over the whole entire nation of Egypt. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's nice, but I didn't enlist for these difficulties that I'm facing. Well, you've got to understand that when you became a citizen of heaven, you surrendered your rights to Christ, and he reserves the right to draft you at any point. Church, I'm talking about the testing that each and every one of us must go through in life. And how that testing, it comes about as a sort of refiner's fire that God uses as part of the sanctification process. By the way, anytime I ever say a word that um, I had no idea what it meant whenever I first became a believer, I like to teach it. uh, Because there's probably someone here who, much like I was when I first started going to church, you may not uh, know what the word is that I just said. Uh, So when you hear the word sanctification... Uh, I want you to know what it means. Uh, Sanctification, um, first of all, is a word that's used more than 100 times in the Bible. And a very simplistic definition of it would be this. The process of the working of the Spirit in our lives, which transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And you see, many times the sanctification process means going through trials and a time of testing. Oh, I'm getting all kinds of amens and hallelujahs right now. See, listen to what Peter says. The church is so important that you hear this. Because look, there is a sect. There there, there are even some churches that that will teach you that just everything is just great and gravy and wonderful and everything's just fine when you come to Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, life is hard, y'all. Now, if you don't believe that, then you're probably under 30. (laughs) But even my 20-year-old's like, no, we know it, right? 20-year-old's, huh? My teenager's like, yeah, we get it too, right? Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It doesn't say if it's going to come. 
So it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. It says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes up on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Listen, I can testify to you as someone who has been serving Christ for right at 30 years now. Life is a test and you will be tested. But it's critical, and catch this, church, it's critical that you recognize the purpose for the testing. Because the purpose, it has a goal. It has an aim. It has a a mission. But if you believe its end goal is to destroy you, then you'll run from it. But if you'll set your mind, set your heart, and set your feet toward the good that God has already promised, you won't run from it, but you'll run toward it. Come on, this right here is how Paul was able to go from city to city, even though he knew there was hardship that awaited him. He knew that the goal was worth the effort, that the prize was worth the price. See, I found that I could go through some pretty hard things when I know what's going to be on the other side. Listen, the desert is just a pass-through to get to the promised land. But if you don't hold fast to the promises of God, then you'll believe that he's left you to die in the desert. In Romans 8, verse 18, Paul gives us some great insight into what we're talking about right here when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul essentially says, I've weighed that all that's before me and all that's to come. I'm not going into this thing blind. I've counted the cost and I've concluded that the difficulties of this life are not even worth comparing when I consider that I am going to get to see his glory. Now friends, I don't know how much you've thought about the glory of God, but I've given a lot of thought to it over the years. And throughout my life, I've got to see glimpses of it. I've had seasons of living in the desert, but I've also had times of living in the promised land. But the word that God has given me for someone this morning, look at me in case it's you. Don't look back. Don't turn your head back to Egypt, but look forward to what God has called you to. Don't believe the lie that something in your past is better than what God has for your future. Look, you may have to pass through a few difficult seasons. You may have to go through a few deserts, but don't make your dwelling there. As the prophet Isaiah says, set your face like a flint. Allow the word of God and the spirit of God to create a resolve in your soul which will keep you focused, committed, and undeterred by discouragement or setbacks. Paul had this resolve. And so whenever he met up with the disciples at Tyre, he wasn't dissuaded or distracted because he had already counted the cost and he deemed Christ worthy of it all. But I like to this address what we initially referenced at the beginning because in Acts 21 and verse 5 it says that the disciples through the spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem and so the question is how can both be right because at first 
glance, it appears to be contradictory in nature. But again, it's all in how you interpret what God says. Now, here's what I mean by that. God also told the disciples that Paul would suffer hardship in Jerusalem. So they heard correctly, but they didn't interpret properly. Did you catch that? They heard correctly, but they didn't interpret properly. They interpreted God telling them that Paul was going to suffer hardship as a warning that he shouldn't go. But God never said that he shouldn't go. You see, the knowledge that they received was supernatural. But the advice that they gave was the result of their own judgment. I don't guess any of you have ever done that before, huh? Look, I'm bringing this to your attention because I can think of times in my life when God spoke to me. I'm talking about things and knowledge that was supernatural. But then the guidance that I provided was based solely on my personal judgment. And I had to grapple with this because I thought about a few instances. I, I'll just share one of them. I'm not perfect. I remember um, a specific instance that comes to mind. There was a couple that wanted to get married. And the Lord showed me that if they got married, that they were going to uh, face difficulty. And so based on that and based on the fact that I, I loved this couple, one of them in particular a lot, and they were close and near and dear to my heart, it caused me to make a personal judgment, and then I went and told them not to get married. But they got married anyway, imagine that. But, um, and they did face a lot of difficulty and hardship, but watch this. God had a plan and a purpose in that hardship. As a matter of fact, that couple is in ministry today doing great things for the Lord. You see, my interpretation of what God showed me caused me to give advice that was contrary to the plan and the purpose of God. Sorry, but your pastor isn't perfect, okay? Look, we know in part, we see in part. But what I should have said should have sounded something more like this. I feel compelled to tell you that I believe you're going to face some difficulties in this relationship. But I trust that you will fast and pray and follow the leading of God's spirit over any romantic feelings. And then let them know that I would be there for them if ever they needed me. And you think I would have learned this lesson before? Because as I was thinking about all this, um, Jody and I had the same thing happen to us. Because we had those who said that we wouldn't make it. Mainly because of me, don't worry. Not because of Jody, right? Um, they figured I was the one who was going to screw it up. Um, but you see, those people that said those things, they likely had supernatural knowledge. They knew that things was going to be difficult. And guess what? Our few, first few years of marriage, uh, it was very uh, difficult. It was a difficult road. But they shouldn't have said, don't marry Chris. What they should have said is, I think you're going to have a difficult time getting married so young. And so if ever you need us, we will be there for you. Now, I'll tell both of these stories because I've been on both the giving and the receiving end of personal judgment. And I hope that talking about this today will cause each and every one of us to take a long, slow pause in our response of the things that God shows us. Because what you may interpret as one thing may be much different than the plan and the purpose of God. Hey, his ways 
are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so that means that we've got to be discerning. We must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Amen? Now let me throw one more other thing into the mix here. Um, I want you to notice that when the disciples said what they said to Paul, he didn't rebuke them. He didn't abandon them. Like Paul being mature in his faith and recognizing their love for them didn't say a word. And as a result, the Bible says in verse 5 that they spent their days together. So what's the point here? The point is this. And catch this, church, please. Your personal judgment could cause a rift that's not easily repaired. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, are you saying that I should never give anyone advice? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that we need to be quick to hear, but slow to speak. And sometimes, sometimes, we're not even supposed to speak at all. Now, I know that that's going to be harder for some than others. I, I fall under the others category there. But I wonder what our relationship with our children might look like if we did this. Like, I wonder what our marriages would look like. I wonder what our jobs might look like. Listen, consider this. If anyone ever had the right to speak but chose not to, it was Jesus, right? And listen to what it says in Isaiah 53, 7. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. There's something to be learned here. Because if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and walk as Jesus walked, then we better look at how he lived. He was oppressed and afflicted. But I've got a right. No, you don't. You surrendered your right when you became a citizen of heaven. Jesus had a right. He's a son of God. He could have called a legion of angels to come down and smite the earth if he wanted to. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The life of Jesus is an example that there are moments when our silence carries more weight than a multitude of words. I'm talking about times when silence is golden. <laughs> are you with me? Now let's look back at Acts 21. Paul leaves Tyre. Then he goes to Caesarea where he stays with Philip the evangelist. And verse 9 says that Philip had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now I'm not going to spend much time here um, other than saying I I've always found it interesting that Luke includes this. Um, but we know that all scripture is inspired by God, so we know that it has a purpose. Like, for example, I don't know, maybe, maybe this line of scripture was given as credence as to Philip's character. Or maybe it was just another reference as to the importance of the prophetic. Or possibly it was just another reminder that God has chosen both men and women to communicate God's words and messages to others. Like I conclude that all three are true. <laughs> but 
But now in verse 10, something interesting happens. Let's read it. It says, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judah. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, this wasn't something that was necessarily new to Paul. Paul already knew this. And by the way, I think his response was brilliant. And we'll read about that here in just a moment. But he already knew that the imprisonment was coming. Like in verse 11, it says, when they heard this, we and the people there, we urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And notice that this is Luke, even including himself here. Luke is who wrote the book of Acts. And he says, we, we encouraged him. He says, I encouraged him, right? I, I told him not to. And so even Luke himself was urging him. And this kind of sounds a little bit like a repeat of what we just saw at Tyre, right? God speaks about something that's going to happen, but rather than seeing it uh, as a good thing, a thing that God wanted to use for the advancement of the kingdom of God, they saw it as a bad thing, and they urged him not to go. But this time, Paul responds, and, and again, like I said, this is his brilliant response. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And after saying this, Verse 14 says, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. And so, can I ask you something? Can you be easily persuaded? Never question in the dark what God spoke in the light. Never question in the dark what God spoke in the light. If God spoke something to you today and it's true, then it's going to be true when you've got difficulty right here up in your face. So don't change. Don't go and call an audible when it's right here. Hold on to truth. That's your anchor. That's your anchor. And since he would not persuade it, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Now, friends, that right there should have been the first response. Let the will of the Lord be done. And the reason that should always be our response is because you and I, we see in part. We know in part. We may know some things, but we don't know all things. And so whenever we come to a situation like some of the situation that I, I described or the situation here with Paul, we can't claim that we know it all. Man, aren't we so prideful sometimes in thinking that we have a, a red line to heaven that no one else has? Even whenever it's, it's like, hey, just get in line with my will for your life. I mean, God's will for your life and all will be good. Right? Let the will of the Lord be done. So when we see something that doesn't appear as it should be, what we should say is let the will of the Lord be done. Because if it's not in his will, he has the ability not only to open the doors that no man can open, but he also has the power to shut the do doors that no man can shut. He holds the keys of David, as Revelation 3 says. And so we've got to trust that. Look, if we're going to believe God for the open doors in our life, then we need to be thanking him for the closed ones as well. And I share that. 
not only as a way to instruct us on how to live, but also to give you hope. To know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. That means whenever you pray over your kids at night and you read your Bible to them, the last thing that we do, let the will of the Lord be done in their life. Even whenever they're making decisions that are contrary to what you want for their life, you pray over them, you speak truth over them, and then you promise to always be there for them, and then you say, let the will of the Lord be done in their life. Or whenever your boss keeps coming down on you and you feel like giving him a piece of your mind, first of all, make sure that you give him the sanctified part, (laughs) that part that God gave you and not that part that was birthed from anger or from the flesh. But God is greater than your boss. Oh, somebody needs to hear that. You know what you need to do? This, this, is, this is in my spirit for someone right now. You need to start praying for your boss. And if you really want to see breakthrough in his, in his life, which, by the way, is you're going to get some fringe benefits that on your job. This is a word for someone. How about fast and pray for him? You're asking me to give up food for that joker. Yep. <laughs> yeah, bless those who, who persecute you. And speak all manners of evil about you. But pray for them and watch how God will not only change them. I'll let you in on the secret part. That's right. He'll change you. Or how about this? How about whenever we get upset about all the things that's going on in our country? What do we do? We pray. Let the will of the Lord be done. And you know what? We do so with the understanding That God may have that person in office for a purpose that is much greater than our understanding. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar was God's idea. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know what that purpose would be. Well, that's okay, because God isn't required to get your vote on what and how he accomplishes his purpose on earth. Like, God doesn't operate a democracy. He runs a kingdom, and Jesus is the king. Church, what we're talking about today is truth that is meant to bring freedom to our lives because so many Christians are living life with the weight of the world on their shoulders. They feel like that they've got to make sure that everything is good with their kids and good with their job and got to make sure that everything is good with their country and good with their friends. But here's the problem with that. God's perspective on what's good can often be different than ours. Are you with me? I mean, if I were to say to you, Chris were to say to you, I'm going to send my child to go pay for the crimes of a guilty criminal. And the price that they're going to have to pay would require great suffering. Suffering at a level that is unthinkable and unimaginable. And then their death would be the final payment for that criminal to be free. Well, you would say that I'm crazy, right? You would say there's no way that that could be called good. Yet when God the Father sent his son to earth to come and to pay the price for our sin, the price that each and every one of us should have paid, God saw it as good. And you and I are now recipients of that very thing, which appeared bad, but God worked for our good. 
The prophet Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. And that might shake some of your theology a little bit. But this was an inspired word by the prophet when he says, It was the Lord's will. It was his plan. It was his purpose. The thing that I'm sure the disciples, when they saw it three days before, said, there's no way that can be good. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And watch this. And the will of the Lord, how about that, will prosper in his hands. May the will of the Lord be done. Amen? Listen, today's message was meant to encourage someone to drop the weight that you've been carrying. You don't have to fix everything and everyone. As a matter of fact, you can't anyway. But he can Not only can he fix them, but he can fix you. He can take the broken pieces of your life and put them back together again. He can heal the wounds that have come as a result of past hurts and mistakes. He can offer forgiveness, restoration, and a fresh start to those who turn to him. Friends, I want you to know that you are not alone in your struggles. God is with you every step of the way. And he's ready to extend his love, his mercy, and his grace. Trust him to mend what is broken and to bring beauty out of the ashes. Let go of that weight that has been hindering you and trust God to carry your burdens. Choose to release control and place your faith in the one who can bring about transformation, restoration, and renewal. Surrender your brokenness to God, for it's at that place that miracles can happen. Come on, I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet with me right now, if you would, quickly. And as you stand, I want to ask if you would bow your head. And close your eyes. I said at the beginning of my message that I felt like today was going to be a day of breakthrough. But that breakthrough would come as we surrender to him. And so I just want to ask, what do you need to surrender to God? I've asked you to close your eyes right now so that you will just take focus on off of everything going around you and for you to be introspective right now. What is it right now that you need from God? What do you need to surrender? What weight have you been carrying? I want you to know that no matter how great it is, God is greater. I want you to know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Church, you were created to endure. There's no quit in those who bear the name of Jesus. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Friends, our faith in Christ means that we have already been declared the winner. And what I want you to know 
is that you possess the resilience, the courage, and the determination to rise above any adversity. So stand tall and walk with confidence because you are not alone. Hold your head high and embrace the truth of your identity as a conqueror. Declare it boldly and believe with all your heart that victory is already yours. Come on, if you believe it, then I want us to lift our voice and let's sing his praise right now.